Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Podcast, which is affiliated with Wisconsin Sports Heroics. I'm your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at Tyler Kurth. You can find my writing by following Reeling the Brew and Wisconsin Sports Heroics on Twitter. Trevor, my cheesehead loving buddy, is not joining me here today. It is his finals weekend, so he's wrapping up all those last second exams and papers and everything that you procrastinate and put off until the last second because. Who on earth wants to do schoolwork? Who on earth wants to go back to school at our age? I don't know how he does it, but I know my wife is going through the same thing right now as well. And it'll be a blessing once it is finally over, that's for sure, especially as the weather is warming up here. And yeah, we're going to be getting into full swing of baseball season here. We're officially done with the first month. April has come and gone. The Brewers were... When the time the calendar flipped to May, tied for the best record in the National League, we're leading the NL Central. Things are looking really good, minus the entire injury situation. We have 15 players on the injured list as it stands here now today, but we might be might be getting some players back. We'll get into that at the end. But I want to focus today on the Brewers versus Dodgers recap. We had the chance to sweep the reigning World Series champions in this one. Unfortunately, Sunday's game was a bit of a dud, but man, we're the first three all thrillers. I told you this series was going to make or break my weekend, and it made my weekend. I am so happy with how this series turned out. So let's get into the action here. Game one on Thursday was a 2-1 to Brewers win. We almost shut the Dodgers out due to five strong innings from Eric Lauer, followed by Brad Boxberger, J.P. Feierheisen, and then Devin Williams. Bauer was excellent for the Dodgers. The only mistake he made in eight innings of work was in the fourth inning when Travis Shaw golfed a curveball under the right field bleachers to score two runs. In fact, the Brewers really did not muster up much against Bauer at all. The four team hits all came from left-handed hitters. But thankfully, pitching was solid enough against this potent Dodgers offensive lineup, and defense was even better. Urias had a few nice plays in this game on Thursday, and in the eighth inning, Urias and Wong turned perhaps the most incredible double play of the year. As Urias snagged the ball up the middle, flipped it to Wong, who was fading away from first, but delivered a strike to Vogelbach to get the 6-4-3 double play. It literally was a video game type double play. You don't see those things very often. In the ninth inning, Hader gave up a leadoff single, and then he balked as he slipped. He struck out the next two batters and then allowed a single for his first earned run of the year. That's how he did not shut them out, but thankfully he got Mookie Betts in a pretty intense battle to end the game, Betts versus Hader. That's, you pay money to see those matchups, so that was really cool to see. 
Game two was a three to one Brewers victory. It was almost the mirror image of the game prior. This time it was JBJ with a two run bomb in the second innings. That was his hundredth career home run and it gave the Brewers an early lead. Peralta, absolutely filthy in this game. His only hit allowed came in the fifth inning and that was a solo homer to AJ Pollock in which a full in a full count, the fastball just not get quite high enough in the zone and he just smashed it out. Fortunately in this game though, as I said, injuries. Omar Narvaez came up gimpy after legging out a single. Luke Maley was forced to make his Brewers debut. And in his first at bat, the bottom of the eighth inning, he added an insurance run with an RBA ground out to score Colton Wong, whom had previously let off the inning with a double. So that's how we got to three runs. Bullpen wise in this game, it was Boxberger in the seventh this time, Feierheisen in the eighth, Josh Hader in the ninth, who this time was all business. He got Corey Seager out on three straight pitches. Slider, slider, fastball. Justin Turner, he struck him out looking on a changeup. Yep, Josh Hader's throwing those this year. And then Max Muncy struck out on three pitches. Fastball, fastball, slider. Excellent sequencing there. Excellent execution. That was a hell of a performance by Josh Hader to lock up that save right there. Game three was a 6-5 to five victory in 11 innings. What an absolute crazy game. The Brewers trailed four different times in this game, but eventually were able to figure it out. That's the only way to put it. On Brandon Woodruff Day, Woody worked around a lot of traffic, but he held the Dodgers at bay. His final stat line only had him giving up two earned runs. The first earned run came on the first pitch of the game. Mookie Betts took advantage of a fastball, hit it out of here. Second earned run came when... Corey Seager hit a triple to score Mookie Butts. That was in the third inning. And oddly enough, the Brewers had counters for each time the Dodgers scored. In the second inning, Urias hit a solo homer. That tied it up at 1-1. to In the third, Travis Shaw homered to tie the game at 2. And that's where the game stayed until the 10th inning. But that's really not to say that either team didn't have plenty of chances. I mean, in this game, the Dodgers left 11 players on base. They were 3-14 of 14 with runners in scoring position. Brewers, not any better. Left 13 on base, 2 of 9 with runners in scoring position. So to get it into extra innings, Craig Council used Josh Hader for the third game in a row. That's the first time that's been done since the end of July, early August 2019. In the 10th inning, Rasmussen gave up a run-scoring single to Justin Turner. They intentionally walked Max Muncy to load the bases. Uh, because then that brought up Clayton Kershaw. The Dodgers were out of position players, so they had to pitch hit Kershaw. He, he was the best pitcher to who had the best chance to hit or get a hit for the Dodgers. But as you can imagine, that resulted in a strikeout. And then thankfully, Rasmussen got A.J. Pollock to ground out after that. So in the bottom of the 10th, needing one run to tie two to win, the Brewers load the bases. There's nobody out. Urias would hit a sack fly, and that's the only run they got for JBJ. Billy McKinney both struck out. In the 11th inning, Rasmussen, still pitching, gave up a triple to Will Smith that played a two Dodger runs, and then Angel Perdomo had to come in and get the final two outs, one of which was a caught stealing when Mealy threw a dime to get Mookie Betts out. Why it was stealing, I'm not sure, but that was a hell of a throw. In the 11th inning then, bottom of the 11th here, Brewers batting for the second time in consecutive innings, we load the bases with nobody out. This time we get things done. So to set that table up, Luke Maley walked and then Mario Feliciano in his first ever MLB at bat walked. 
And as I mentioned, the clutch hits then there, you had a long sack fly that brought it within one run. And obviously Garcia tied it with a single and then Travis Shaw walked it off as he hit a single into right field. Six to five Brewers victory in a four hour and like 48 minute marathon game. Absolutely exhausting from a fan standpoint. Sunday's game, by far the biggest dud of the series. You would have loved a four game sweep very unlikely, but it was Alec Bettinger's MLB debut, and it is a game he is going to want to forget very quickly. With two runners on in the first inning, he had a ground out near first base that should have ended the game, or ended the inning, excuse me, with no runs crossing, but instead Bettinger, who was covering the bag, missed it, and BD was safe, so now you have the bases loaded, and naturally AJ Pollock hit a grand slam as the next batter. Second inning, Literally more of the same. After recording two outs, Bettinger loaded the bases, and this time it was Beattie who hit a grand slam. So he had two grand slams against Bettinger in two innings, which is obviously not good. Did allow Jordan Zimmerman to pitch. Cool to see him. He's a Wisconsin native. He would end up giving a three-run homer to A.J. Pollock. So if you're keeping track, A.J. Pollock had two homers, eight RBIs on the day. Beattie had seven RBIs himself. Absolutely insane there. And the weird part about Jordan Zimmerman, though, in this situation was he actually was retired for about two hours. He had an opt-out date on April 30th. He thought, he was like, yeah, I'm going to hang the cleats up, calling it a career. It's It's been a good ride. And then the Brewers were like, hey, why don't you drive down to Milwaukee? We'll use you this weekend. So he gets used in this blowout game. Really unfortunate for both Bettinger and Zimmerman. I mean, the Brewers are still in the stretch of games you know, thinking back to, I think it was the Cubs series started 17 straight days where we played games. And unfortunately, guys have to, when they're, they have to eat these games. Bettinger and Zimmerman were definitely victims of that today. Another cool story was Jacob Nottingham as well. So he had previously started the year on the injured list. Brewers, I think, were trying to have him go under the radar because he had no minor league options remaining. And then they said, oh, well, now that you're healthy, we're going to designate you for assignment. Hope we can stash you in AAA. Well, the Mariners were like, eh, nope, we want him. So the Mariners actually claimed him. He was a Mariner for two days. And then the Brewers traded cash for him. They got him back. So he literally was in Seattle on a plane, had to come right back. And then his first at-bat here on Sunday was a home run. He actually finished the game with a multi-homer game, had three RBIs, but Brewers lost 16-4 to on Sunday. That's probably what you're going to remember because that, that was really, really ugly. But overall, I mean, as a series, you can't complain about what happened here. The Brewers rose to the occasion I mentioned earlier, 15 players on the injured list now. I mean, think about instances that had to happen this series. Eric Lauer made his season debut in a spot start. He was really good. Feliciano made his MLB debut. So did Ellie Bettinger. Luke Maley made his Brewers debut. And then you're taking three games against the Dodgers? You just don't see that kind of stuff very often. I know, sure, the Dodgers had been slumping coming into this series, for we've now handed them their third consecutive series loss but they're still a damn good team. I mean, these were all close. They were competitive games. They they really could have gone either way, but the Brewers found ways to win without their main guys, which has just been a theme throughout this year. I think another big storyline was Kesson Hira did not start. 
I mean, he started on Sunday. There was a left-handed pitcher and Julio Urias on the mound. But the first three games, when the Brewers won, he did not start. It was Dan Vogelbach there at first base. Vogelbach, unfortunately, did not take advantage of any of the opportunities that were presented with him this weekend. 0-12, four strikeouts, two walks. But Kesson Hira, when he was in, didn't look good. He hasn't looked good all year. In this series in specific and very limited playing time, 0 of 8 with three strikeouts. And fans are starting to get frustrated. We're now, we're over a month in. Like I said, we flipped over to May. And I think this Dodgers series here, it wasn't a righty-lefty matchup thing. It was, hey, we need more production out of the first base spot. We're going to give an extended look at Dan Vogelbach here. If he gets hot, we're going to run with him. Well, guess what? He did not get hot. <laughs> Kesson Hira still isn't hot. In fact, if you take a look at his season statistics, they're, they're baffling. He has a overall 36% strikeout rate. Terrible. On fastballs, he's whiffing 46% of the time. On breaking pitches, 51% of the time. And then thanks to my buddy Jack Stern here on Twitter, his whiff rate is in middle-middle pitches is 42%. That's the heart of the plate. In case you're wondering, the league-wide whiff rate on pitches in, labeled as heart of the plate is 15. 42 to 15. That's a huge difference. Kesson Hira literally just has a giant hole in his bat. <laughs> That's what's going on. There's no other explanation. And now you're starting to become, you know, when you start to wonder, is this who he is. He obviously in 2019 had a tremendous year no matter where he played, AAA or with the Brewers. Hit over 300. What do you have, like over 30, close to 40 home runs between the two levels that year? Absolutely insane. 2020, sure, you can talk, chalk it up to COVID. He still was mashing home runs at least at that point. This year, he's just not doing anything whatsoever. His confidence has got to be at an all-time low. You can see the frustration on his face. And yeah, I, like the first two weeks in the series when or season when fans were saying, oh, send him down, you know, demote him. I was like, well, there's nowhere to really send him, right? Like sending him to the alternative training site doesn't make sense. But we got minor league baseball starting up here pretty soon. Kesson Hira has, what, two major league options remaining because they used some as first year in 2019. He did not get demoted at all last year, so he should have two remaining. So you have all of this year to essentially shuttle Kesson Hira around because it doesn't look like he's going to break out of it anytime soon. And then you essentially have next year as well to do more of the same because I know the next thing fans are going to want starting is trade Kesson Hira. I can see it. Trade him while the potential is still high on him before teams realize that he's just a giant strikeout machine, which I think teams have already realized. <laughs> but he does have this really high hit potential, which makes trading him hard, right? Like, we know what he can do when he is on. And the fact he has essentially two years worth of minor league shuttling around to do, if Stearns is going to trade him, he's going to have a high asking price. I highly doubt a team is going to fork over what David Stearns is going to want in Kesson Hira, who is a first-round draft pick and is a hitter, or is supposed to be a hitter. We'll leave it at that. So I don't think a trade in Kesson Hira is coming anytime soon, 
But I am starting to join more along the lines of, yeah, there could be a demotion coming in his future here because it's starting to make sense. It's like that year when we had Eric Thames and Jesus Aguilar and nobody could produce at first base. It's like the curse of the first baseman. Now we have Dan Vogelbach and Kesson Hira. Neither one is doing well whatsoever. Yikes. The, the first base for the Brewers just continues to be a revolving door, and I get it. It's very, very frustrating. We will continue to most likely have a revolving door at the catcher position as well here. As I mentioned, Mario Feliciano made his MLB debut. So let's back up a little bit to the timing of how everything went down here because Manny Pena, before the Dodgers series, got placed on the injured list with that toe fracture. So they called up Luke Maley and said, hey, we want you to be the backup catcher. You know, you're going to give all the starts to Omar Narvaez at this point, right? He's a hitter. Hitter's going to hit. Well, all of a sudden... Omar Narvaez comes up gimpy on the aisle with a hamstring strain. So for one game, Pablo Reyes was the emergency catcher and, and who knows, could have made an appearance, but he didn't. <laughs> but when Omar Narvaez goes down, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, Jacob Nottingham, you know, depending on the timing here, was either still trying to clear waivers or had just been claimed by the Mariners. And the Brewers are like, shit, what do we do? So they go out and they trade for him. They give the Mariners some cash, say, hey, we're going to take Jacob Nottingham back. And now Nottingham is presumably going to get a lot of the starts going forward until these Pina and Narvaez are off the injured list. No matter what, when one of them returns, you're likely going to send Maley down because he has minor league options remaining. Nottingham doesn't. So Nottingham's going to stay here until, like I said, both of them are healthy. And then you're probably going to see the Brewers try to sneak them back down onto the alternative training site again. Really, if I was another team, I would just claim them because, you know, David Stearns is going to be calling and offering you cash again to get him back because there, there's some value there with the Sheriff. He knows this pitching staff really well. We've seen how much injuries can plague a team this year, especially the Brewers. He's has the potential to be an impact bat like as a, from a power standpoint he hit four home runs in 20 games last year and that was pretty much all in september for the brewers he hit two home runs today he's not gonna hit for a high batting average whatsoever but power potential he's a really strong defender i think he calls an excellent game he was like essentially corbin burns's personal catcher last year because he had so much experience with them in the minor leagues and he knows the rest of the staff as well so I really like the Sheriff, but he's just here until our other guys get healthy. That's unfortunately the reality of what it is. On a brighter side, the last thing I want to focus on here is Josh Hader's dominance. As I mentioned, he pitched three games in a row, all Brewers win, so that was really nice. And I think it's really important to circle back to the fact that he's being used as a traditional closer this year. That has been a big part of why he's been able to pitch three games in a row. And why, I mean, you t- even throughout earlier parts of the season, you take a look back to mid-April, that Pirates game. Hader threw a 13-pitch ninth inning to send it extra innings. J.P. Fireheisen, the like one time all year, ends up costing the Brewers that game. But then the next day, we travel to San Diego Josh Hader picks up a save in that opening game and then picks up a save in the third game. You pitch Hader multiple innings, who knows how those events turn. And then you think like to this Dodger series here. If Hader would have been called upon to pick up multi-inning saves, these all could have changed as well. 
I mean, he picked up back-to-back saves in the first two games, but if game one he goes multiple innings, he might not be available for game two. Who do you call on for a save? Everything changes. I mean, I get it having strong arms like J.P. Feierheisen, Devin Williams who's starting to turn the corner, Boxberger's been pretty good, your high-leverage guys. That makes it a little bit easier to say, hey, yeah, we just can just use Hader for one inning because I feel pretty confident that our other guys can get us to that point, which is a very good luxury to have. But Josh Hader's still the best of the best. And using him in these one-inning situations has proven to be really beneficial. I think it's helped the Brewers get a lot more wins this year. And it's helping Hader pitch better. His velocity is the highest it's been throughout his entire career. His fastball average right now is at 96.2. I mentioned his sequencing earlier. I think that's been phenomenal. And his slider has just been absolutely untouchable. So you take a look at his whiff rate for sliders. It's at 61.5% on the slider. Throughout all of, I mean, you take a look at like any like advanced metric out there, Josh Hader is the leader in it. Whiff rate, he is the absolute best. K percentage, he's in the 99th percentile. Hard hit percentage, 99th percentile. I, I could go on and on forever. So Josh Hader, in my eyes, is actually performing the best he ever has. And that's crazy to think about and should be scary for other teams to consider when they have to try and, you know, make Hater blow a save because odds are it's not going to happen. So that that's a really good segue to my series MVP. Who's going to be Josh Hader? <laughs> and against the Dodgers, three innings pitched, gave up two hits, a walk, and a balk when I mentioned when he tripped, but five strikeouts, two saves. In that second save especially, he was just so dominant. That was fun to see. He was straight business. He struck out the side there, throwing the changeup this year. Uh, I think that's very deserving of series MVP here. And I'm going to give literally some honorable mentions to the high leverage guys who set him up. Boxberger, Feierheisen, Williams, all went two innings this series, no earned runs. Devin Williams did struggle a little bit, had two walks and two hits, but didn't allow any runs to cross the plate. And then from an offensive standpoint, I have to give it to Travis Shaw, right? This series, batting average-wise, not good, three for 11, but hit two homers, had four RBIs, even stole a freaking base. Yes, Travis Shaw stole a base. He was excellent from a production standpoint, which he really has been. I think he's like tied for fifth best in RBIs throughout all of baseball right now. A lot of it, the damage coming in the first inning, which I know I have beat into your guys' heads by now. And then... Uh, Otherwise, honorable mention, just going to give Avi a little recognition just because we've been so hard on him here over the past couple series. He went 5 of 12, four walks, two RBIs, and a stolen base against the Dodgers. Good to see him getting back into the groove here because he was just absolutely terrible for a stretch of like 9, 10 games there. Series dud. Man, this one is tough. It'd be really easy to pick like Alec Bettinger or Jordan Zimmerman. I mean, Alec Bettinger gave up two grand slams, but I'm not going to do that. It was his MLB debut. I'm going to I'm pick someone who's actually, you know, going to mean something here for the Brewers going forward or has the potential to, and that's Dan Vogelbach. I mentioned he got the three starts, and he blew it this weekend. 
he had a chance. If I firmly believe if he would have hit this series, we'd be seeing his name at first base like 75% of the time this next coming week, assuming matchups. He missed out there. Posting 0 for, 0 for 12, four strikeouts, not good. And he was hitting up high in the order too. He was second in the batting order for, I think, all of those games. Not a good showing there for Dan Vogelbach. But really, otherwise, then there... I don't even think I have an honorable mention for the dud category here, unless you want to count Bettinger and Zimmerman as my honorable mentions. Otherwise, I think everyone else was fine. It's good to see Urias continue to hit. He hit 400 this series. Had a walk, a homer, two RBIs. Billy McKinney, who I'd kind of been like, why is everybody so high on him? Had was three for eight this series, three walks and a double. So that was really nice to see. He made a nice play against the wall uh, in one of those games. He was he was playing some defense there in left field, and it got me thinking. Like I was like, man, Billy McKinney made a catch against the wall look flawless. And we haven't seen Christian Yelich play in a while, but Christian Yelich's defense has been slipping and over the years. And I'm like, man. You know, what's going to happen when Christian Yelch is back out there and isn't making some of these great defensive plays like McKinney and Tyrone Taylor have done while he's been out? This has definitely helped out this pitching staff. They've had some crucial catches in key situations. Obviously, I want Christian Yelch's bat, <laughs> and it's not like Christian Yelch is terrible defensively, but really he is not a Tyrone Taylor or Billy McKinney defensively. And as a former gold glover, he, he's slowing down, and, and that's just the reality of it. Honestly, if the DH ever comes to the National League, which there's a strong possibility it might, Christian Yelich is a very strong, near-everyday DH category player, even at this point in his career, which, which is really weird to think about. So let's move on here. We got four games coming up next against the Phillies. The Phillies have not played their Sunday night game as I'm recording this, but they're essentially a 500 team. Reese Hoskins is leading the way for him. Eight homers and seven doubles on the year. He's got like a near 600 slugging percentage. That's pretty crazy. Bryce Harper has been out the last four games. He got hit by a pitch in the wrist. Not on the injured list, just hasn't been playing. Not even pinch hit opportunities there. So likely he'll return for the Brewers series. That would be my guess unless he ends up on the IL. But he's hitting 321 with six homers on the year. So he'll be a force to be reckoned with. I think I know the Brewers starting rotation, but <laughs> that's obviously a loaded question. If everything went kind of as it should, it would be Adrian Hauser on Monday. Lauer, who I think has earned another start, would be on Tuesday. Freddie Peralta would be on Wednesday. And he'd be facing Chase Anderson in that game, according to my projections there. So that's kind of funny. And then Thursday would be Brandon Woodruff Day. So those are all on the East Coast. So I think they're all 6 o'clock starts. And then Thursday's day game is at noon. So be wary of that. And hopefully we see Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich. Craig Council kind of hinted that they both could return at some point here this Philadelphia series. Obviously, it's a four-game series, so that's kind of vague. I would love to see them both return on Monday. That would be awesome. 
but then there's corresponding roster moves that have to go along with it. So make sure you're staying up to date following either like reviewing the brew or Wisconsin sports heroics. <clears throat> Selfish plug there because we're always keeping you up to date on what's going on there. Obviously, you don't want them to return unless they're not 100%, but it has been a long time without these two players. The Brewers have weathered the storm perfectly. We're sitting here, what, at 17 and 11 now, near the top of the MLB in record. It, this is That's like the perfect month of April that you could have asked for from a record standpoint, given our very strong schedule. And you have to think we're only going to continue to improve once we get our key players back. Of course, baseball does not work that way, but in theory, that's how it goes in my mind. So we will have another four-game series recap. That podcast will be coming out on Friday. So it'll be a while before I talk to you guys again, of course. If anything crazy happens in between there, I will jump on for an emergency pod. But who knows? We will wait and see what happens there. Otherwise, like I said, follow Reviewing the Brew and Wisconsin Sports Heroics. All my articles are going out there. And I would like to thank you all for reading those. It is much appreciated. Thank you for listening. And I will talk to you later, Brewer fans.